0: You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. Every January, we have MLK Day where we kind of celebrate the life and legacy of a man who uh, made a profound impact. In the civil rights movement. Uh, but this year, we also had an additional kind of acknowledgement the 50th anniversary of his assassination. And in conjunction with that, there was a, a conference that many of our church attended the MLK 50 conference in Memphis, where the assassination took place. And we wanted to focus this episode particularly on MLK.
1: I have a dream that we are determined to be men. We are determined to be people. We are saying that we are God's children. I have a dream. My four little children Will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. You know what's beautiful to me? To see all of these ministers of the gospel. It's a marvelous picture. Who is it that is supposed to articulate the longings and aspirations of the people more than the preacher? Somehow the preacher must have a kind of fire set up in his bones, and whenever injustice is around, he must tell it. Like anybody, I would like to live A long life, longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not feeling any man. My eyes have seen the glory.
0: So this is Adam Griffin, and I'm back from my sabbatical and here with my co-host and dear friend, Adam Hawkins. Adam, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you for asking. So today, Adam, we're going to be joined in studio with Remy Joy, uh, one of our group's ministers here at the Flower Mound campus. Adam, how are you feeling about this topic, about the idea, about MLK? What are you looking forward to on this episode?
2: Yeah, uh, I think as you were sort of alluding to, this is a—this this can— uh, be a hot button topic, right? The idea of race, because we're obviously gonna get there. Yeah. Um I think also um I think honoring uh uh MLK's life by looking at um the message he preached, which led to his death, right, yeah. uh, is, is really um, honoring. I hope it's honoring. And so it's a topic that I want to approach with a certain amount of sobriety, and it's a topic that um, I'm excited about talking about because it's one that's really important. Uh, and mainly what I'm sa- talking about when I'm saying that is the idea of racial reconciliation, the idea of uh, at where our society finds itself at. Um, on the issue of racism today.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. In fact, this is a podcast all about culture, and so some may be saying, hey, we've done an episode on race before. It's because the issue of race comes up a lot in our culture, and so our show will, on a regular basis, probably have episodes that have some nuance with race because anything you see in our culture, there's almost always an undercurrent of something dealing with race, whether it's in movies or in a TV or music or the news or politics or sports, you name it, there's a cultural current of race. And so this is another opportunity and we're glad to take it to talk about racial reconciliation, racial harmony, the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and be joined in studio by our good friend Remy.
3: I am Remy Joy Onayemi and I work as the group's minister at the Flower Mound campus. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Whoop whoop, And I'm very glad to be here with you guys today.
0: Remy, I'm very glad to have you with us here today, too. Honestly, I love getting to talk to you about anything, but really excited about what we have in front of us today. Uh, You just got back from the MLK 50 conference. Yes, I did. So many of our people at our church did. It was the 50th anniversary of Mm -hmm. the assassination, Mm -hmm. and so made it a very kind of, I I bet, a mixture of a celebratory. These people have gathered around something important and a very sad event to be commemorating at the same time. Mm -hmm. So let's just start with kind of the basic level. Most people, I would imagine, are familiar with who MLK was. But for those who aren't, uh, maybe between the three of us, we can come up with kind of a short bio about what was his impact, what were the accomplishments, and who was he? So who is MLK?
3: I will say he was a prolific speaker and writer, um, excellent leader and thinker. I love the fact that he earned his doctorate degree at such a very young age, and I feel like he could have used his life to pursue the American dream of individualism and comfort just for his immediate family and himself. And yet he was in Memphis because of his care for uh, sanitation workers, and you know, so he used his life not just for his own comfort, but to encourage those who needed it. And I think about proverbs 31 and it talks about you know speak out for all the rights of all who are destitute and i feel like his life demonstrated that so well
0: yeah
2: yeah i so just in in addition to that that was so great uh i just want to talk about what it was like sort of growing up and with as mlk is this sort of figure right um a public figure in Mm -hmm. some sense right um so not thinking of him in connection to his faith or or the church or any of those kind of things. But thinking of him just growing up, sort of hearing about um, his activity in the civil rights movement, the importance of this, you know, growing up in school and and watching the I Have a Dream speech, Mm -hmm. reading a letter from Birmingham jail, uh, just sort of those kind of things, um, man— He's a larger-than-life figure in some sense, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there's also a sense in which his life, and I know I'm going abstract. Everyone knows that's where my mind goes. Uh, <laughs> but but, that's where you live. That's where I live. Uh, <laughs> but there's some. There's a sense in which his life, it means more than simply his life. I don't. Do, do you know what I mean when I say yeah. that? like mm-hmm. it's he as a figure in this country is like. George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or one of these yeah. like he's like a founding fight Abraham Lincoln like he is this figure that it's almost hard to remember he was a man yeah. in a time mm-hmm. fighting a specific injustice yeah. that he saw in the world an evil an evil that he saw in the world it's more like oh he's this historical figure and yes. it's hard to kind of connect with that mm-hmm. and I think one of the things just thinking about uh, MLK 50 and and what that was it really did help remind me of his humanity I maybe that's a weird thing to talk about but for me mm-hmm. just growing up from a young age and mm-hmm. and you know I I rem- he just became this larger than life figure. Yeah. Like he was a man who was deeply affected and saw people in this country deeply affected by injustice and racism. Yes. And he was fighting something very real that wasn't so long ago. Yeah. yeah. And he lost his life for it. Yeah. yeah. And he has family members who are alive today who still mourn that fact. You know, it just all of a sudden it became
0: more real and less historical. Does that make sense? No, I'm totally with you. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. if I could speak to something kind of in my own ignorance of, so I grew up with the I Have a Dream speech was very familiar and of some other things he ac- accomplished, tried to accomplish, mm-hmm. was part of, were very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There's always these things that are kind of novel to me that kind of stick with me and realizing or being taught how young he was when he got started as a leader in the movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, is such an inspiration to people in their 20s Absolutely. to go, listen, this is a man who didn't it's not like he had been around for 40 years and finally mm-hmm. got a platform. Mm-hmm. This was a man that in a very at a very young mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. he was thrust into a National chair of prominence Mm -hmm. to say you are now the voice. You're Mm -hmm. You're the voice for what all of us, uh, with uh, people around us, are resonating with. Whether that was uh, his work on just what nonviolent protest looks like, Mm -hmm. which still is very influential today. Obviously, he was influenced by others in that as well, but he set a an example for that of how to change the government, how to change culture, how to change people around you through through nonviolent means. Mm-hmm. And then how the gospel spoke to an important issue yeah. that our nation needed to be awake to. So mm-hmm. talking about understanding a little bit of that, that groundwork mm-hmm. of who MLK was it does seem like uh, very quickly, because of his humanity, mm-hmm. we hear people bring up things about him, like they'll bring up his his moral failures, mm-hmm. problematic theologies. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, why are Christians so quick if you bring up MLK, and maybe this is just smaller pockets, but there's certainly loud pockets mm-hmm. in, in some spheres. Why are people so quick to say, oh, but this yeah. about him, or remember that this is a reality behind the scenes? What do you think?
3: I wish I knew the answer to that. I have a lot of thoughts about it. So they did a great job at the MLK 50 conference kind of addressing this. They talked about Martin Luther. I think um, our own pastor did that. He talked about often. He's referenced Martin Luther many times in his sermons, and he rarely, if ever, gets emails with people talking about his anti-Semitic views that he talked about at the end of his life. Or we talked about Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield, who owned Slaved and who who were— pro-slavery for a very long time, you know, and so we don't we don't talk about that when we learn about Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, and we talked about David, and he had moral failures, etc. And so, um, yes, it is true that King had moral failures. Yes, it is true that I know he had some questions as it relates to his theology. Russell Moore even pointed out that uh, many of the conservative Christian seminaries he wouldn't have been allowed to go to because of his race, you know, etc. And so, I don't know, but I thought new bill did a great job of just kind of pointing out, we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing that? Are we asking these questions because we're just so concerned about his spouse and about his children? I mean, his wife, for goodness sakes, who I I just love and admire so much because so much of her life was geared toward promoting his work and, and making sure that we remembered his memory and that we honored him well, you know? Yeah. And so if his wife and his kids weren't constantly mentioning his failures, then why do we, why do, we do it? Do we do it to deflect? Do we do it mm-hmm. to try to tear him down? You know, I, I don't know why but it, it definitely is interesting and it is it, it's notable to see uh sometimes the hypocrisy that can be there within the the church
2: it had a it, so maybe i'm just like a hitting one note here but it, <laughs> it actually has a different effect on me as i was saying before remembering he's a human being yeah mm-hmm. uh and in and, and all the examples remy that you just brought up it's like um man this was a man yeah. who yep. uh, was located in a certain context and mm. I don't feel the need to apologize mm. for any of it. Mm. Uh, just like nobody is trying to apologize for uh, all the people we just talked about. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It was abhorrent that mm-hmm. Jonathan Edwards owned slaves. Mm-hmm. It was wrong. Mm-hmm. We can say that and mm-hmm. we get to say that. And you know um the things that martin luther king did uh in terms of cheating on a spouse or whatever those were wrong and it's mm-hmm. okay to say those are mm-hmm. wrong it does not diminish mm-hmm. the work he did yeah. for the gospel or to fight injustice here
1: mm-hmm.
2: just like our own moral failures right. do not negate the work that god is doing th- right. through us the instruments yeah. he uses Amen. if yep. god can only use Clean instruments, then he's not going to find too many of those down Amen. here on Earth because I'm pretty sure there's only been one yeah. human yeah. Amen. who Amen. didn't sin, and that was Jesus. Christ. right? Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. Yeah. yeah. Wait, where are we? <laughs> it's the Village Church.
0: That's right. Yeah. No. I, I told like uh, with. With MLK, it doesn't mean that I that you approve of adultery if you approve of his message, That's right? Really right? Like they're That's, not yeah. they're not hinged to each other so closely, and That's right. and no yeah. one's pretending that he was perfect or anybody's perfect yeah. By, yeah. by saying he was a man uh, who had an admirable cause and went about it admirably. Yeah. Yes, he had flaws. We don't need to. It's not diminishing them yeah. to say I'm I'm a fan of MLK. Well, there, like you said, everybody's perfect. Now there is, I think all of us can sense that some people pointed out not because they have a, a, a a problem uh, in general with the way we describe a person or don't, they think he should have been perfect to say these. But mm-hmm. if you have a problem with what he said, or if what he said, or if talking about race makes you feel a certain way, mm-hmm. there are people that want to address, well, you need to know. Well, I will it's undermine convenient. that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's strong. it's yes. convenient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's convenient to say, well, you know that he wasn't perfect mm-hmm. and, and yep. none of Yes. And so, uh there there is a sense i think generally that the the public who does not love mlk's message will attack his personal life mm. yeah. and that's not exclusive i do not approve of adultery i do not think the man was perfect yeah. but it is interesting that people are so quick to point out where he wasn't yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so what ways do you think uh, the church, maybe the culture at large, they look back now at MLK's message and try to try to whitewash it, or try to make. I think people, anytime somebody is has died like he has, mm-hmm. as prominent as he was, people can try to take what he said and make it fit what they want, even if it wasn't what he intended. But mm-hmm. is there a way in which you feel like we have diluted his message, whitewashed his message, or it's because it went from something that was subversive in culture to mm-hmm. now it, it's widely accepted in culture? Mm-hmm. That's kind of been whitewashed that it's Mm -hmm. been... I don't know, co-opted for something else.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I just think about the the quotes and things that can be used on social media a lot of times, and they're used out of context. And so they tried to use it. Uh, for example, Lecrae talks about it in one of his uh, songs. He talks about people always tell him he needs to be more like King. And he's like, I think you've forgotten how they mm. shot him in the streets, right? Or Russell Moore did an excellent job. He pointed to Matthew 23 and how, you know, the, the scriptures say, if we had been alive in the days of our forefathers, we wouldn't have shed the blood of the prophets, etc. So we have to remember that King was saying things that made people want to kill him yeah. in order to silence him. So it wasn't kumbaya. It wasn't yeah. just let's all get along. Ultimately, it was that, of course. And, and he was looking out for people of all different ethnicities in what he had to say. But no, people didn't love what he had to say. And we can't just take certain sentences and certain paragraphs out of context and try to utilize that to whitewash whitewash his message.
0: Amen. That's really good. Yeah, so what what can we as a church maybe talking about specifically the village church maybe specifically our context in DFW but in general the church at large what do we still have to learn from somebody like MLK I'll start us off by saying I think what you just touched on Remy is saying what are those taboo topics of our day and in many regards race is still one of them. Amen. Where if we say something about them at least in a certain uh to a certain group of people it, it still it touches a nerve in a way where it almost feels like I can't I feel like I'm not making any progress because we mm-hmm. can't get past the use of this term, this word, or in this issue. And and uh, what MLK demonstrated is you still you you are not silent mm-hmm. because the world can't handle the injustice being addressed. Yeah. You still address it. And there are things in the church today that it's not politically correct to discuss. Yes, that we can handle in graceful, kind ways. Amen. But our silence, it implies a complicity. Yeah. And so we can't say nothing. But what else do you think MLK demonstrates for us or we still have to learn from him today.
3: Mm-hmm. 11 o'clock being the most racially segregated hour. I believe mm-hmm. that was King that said that and yeah. yet that is still very true today. Yeah. Um, it It is a hot button topic with me. I It grieves me. I lament over the fact that the American church is so racially segregated. I do not think it's okay. I do not think it reflects God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and I think he desires us to make disciples of all nations as he's <laughs> of us within the scriptures, Amen, yeah. right? And so in order for us to do that, if we're doing that, if we're building these relationships, that means we're going outside of our comfort zone. We're going outside of our neighborhood. We are making disciples, and we are uh, having a church that reflects to the outside world that is watching what the kingdom of God actually looks like and how the gospel of Jesus Christ has a supernatural power to uh, break down those walls of, of racial segregation. So I think that's just one of them, um, that we do have to continually have a voice uh, about, and then it, many times people will use certain scriptures out of context. Even with that, right? So, mm-hmm. like people want to quote, uh, you know, uh, we're there no longer any Jew or Gentile, and no male or female, right? right. And, and we just use that out of context so often. And I want to yeah. ask people, what do you mean yeah. when you're quoting that verse? Let me ha- let me have a greater understanding of what you're trying to say. You know, so yeah.
2: I think that I, I'm just to go along with with Remy, and I know this is complex, so you know, please grant me some charity and grace. You and have this. some charity. But um, <laughs> so. I think I think uh, somebody was talking. I don't remember who it was, but um, here's the reality. If our gospel doesn't produce a certain action, mm-hmm. right action and orthopraxy, mm-hmm. then we've got to start to – I'm not saying that we're not preaching the right thing. We've just got to start to wonder and ask ourselves some questions. And I think what uh, what we can learn from MLK is that – Um, if we're preaching a message of justice that has no tie to actual justice being done here mm. yeah. <laughs> then something's deficient so somebody <laughs> was mentioning like hey we've been sort of preaching we've had gospel preaching churches in America for a very long time mm. and guess what the fruit of some of that have been has mm. been right it's been slavery yeah. <laughs> being okay it's mm-hmm. segregated churches mm-hmm. it's segregation it's Jim Crow It's and we can go on and on and on and some of those are the ills of society but specifically as we talk about those those were church Mm -hmm. who were preaching the gospel Mm -hmm. on the one hand but then holding in the other hand slaves Mm -hmm. those were gospels who were churches who were preaching the gospel on one hand but on the other hand were saying we need to be segregated today these are churches who are preaching the gospel on the one hand uh and there is no but our churches are still segregated mm-hmm. as Rumi brought up. So you know, and some and again that starts to get complex. Obviously God puts us in particular contexts and as we talk about segregated churches and stuff and I understand that, but I'm just saying where's the fight? Mm-hmm. Where's the where's the lament? The lament. <laughs> yeah. The lament. Yeah. Uh, and so I th- maybe that's what I'm learning I think that there is that right doctrine should produce right action mm-hmm. That's where it's not, what am I missing? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, to kind of conclude this this little question back and forth, uh, one, I, I so appreciate you being here, Remy. Mm-hmm. I do want to say a couple of things about that too. I feel like yeah. there is a tendency, especially in a church like ours, our church is majority white. To, to people feel like, well, if I'm friends with someone like Remy who's different than me, then I am not part of the problem. <laughs> if I have lunch with Remy once a year, then I'm right not a contributor. Yes, but the, the truth is that every single one of us has implicit bias in our heart that we have partialities Amen. we don't even realize we have that, that when we call racism sin we're not just talking about those who are white supremacists mm-hmm. we're talking about my heart I'm talking right. about Adam Griffin's heart Amen. has has assumptions about groups of people in it that I want to unpack yeah. in the same way that I want to unpack greed mm-hmm. and lust Amen. and pride Amen. and anger yeah. I want to address bias in my heart Amen. and that what, what Martin Luther has called us to what the church is to do mm-hmm. is to call out sin Amen. and where racism is sin and that includes in my own heart mm-hmm. than to say let's be a safe place to address mm-hmm. it Amen. and so I want the village church I want other churches to say hey if If racism is a struggle for you, if bias is a struggle for you, if you make assumptions about people, you find yourself being partial to certain cultures Mm. or people groups, then let's talk about that. Let's confess that. Let's walk through that honestly. Mm -hmm. And I do feel in the near future, Adam and I are hoping to do a whole episode on institutional racism, on how how we still see systems of racism, which a lot of people assume like that's not a problem anymore. Mm -hmm. No, we just have a problem with some individuals, Mm -hmm. which is not a reality. There, There are institutional partialities still in our culture that we'd love to. To address and talk more about and i do feel like martin luther king's dream where some people say look how far we've come it is still a look how much further we have to yeah. go and that is both an individual and an institutional issue so we're going to keep talking about this more but right now i'm really delighted about the next segment where we get to transition to is hearing on an individual level Mm -hmm. the way this has worked out in a relationship here at our church between uh, LaToria and Lauren. And we'll Mm -hmm. hear them talk about a song that they wrote together to try to express some of these things that we've been working about here in the room, about racial tensions between individuals and realizing the lack of true understanding and empathy we might have for someone else's perspective. So Mm -hmm. let's listen as they talk us through their own personal story and how that led to the creation of a song that hopefully some of us either will be challenged by or deeply resonate with.
1: Our
4: sovereign king gave a dream to Martin Luther King Jr. A concept so beautiful, hard to believe it could be true. But this dream was just a glimpse like a flicker in the night from the northern star pointing to where the freedom is. This dream is spoke of revelations of a nation that no longer operated under a hierarchy of different races. Justice, unity, equality were realized. I'm Latoria, like and I am a Christian hip hop artist. I'm Lauren Chandler. I think I have a unique perspective because I grew up in traditionally kind of like more the the black church culture. Um, And it wasn't until my adult years that I kind of entered into a more predominantly white space. And so I think being in those two different environments uh, cultivated and is still cultivating and molding and shaping and maturing me into the believer that I am. You know what I mean? And so I think... With, these, with these, the lyrics to this song, I think I was really trying to be intentional to um, give the black woman a voice. Because I think inside and outside of the church, we can be overlooked. We can feel like no one sees us or no one understands our plight or really you know, knows where we're coming from. And so my hope with the lyrics was to give a voice to black people in general, not just black women, but also to people who aren't African-American, um, just some insight into what this thing can feel like, you know.
5: So I grew up um, in East Texas, a town called Longview, so kind of a mid-sized town, uh, very much with the heart of a deep south sort of town. Um, I can't speak to what it's like now, but definitely even geographically segregated still, you know, grew up in the 80s. And um, what's ironic is my family actually owned a home and we lived on the side of town that was not predominantly white. And so I think I felt like because I grew up in that neighborhood, that because I had proximity, I had understanding. And that wasn't true. I thought, oh, well, um, I live in the same neighborhood. I'm going to some of the same schools, um, even though I will say, like, I went to a magnet school, you know, that was in that on that side of town, but was mainly white children. I thought, oh, because I'm approximate, then I have understanding of what it means to grow up um, as a black in America. So I think I operated in this system that I think a lot of us white Christians do, that we think it's an even playing field, that we think if you would just do like I do, then you won't experience all this um, frustration. You won't experience what you think is discrimination like it's like that was so long ago where there's a new time where we're colorblind now that's how my experience growing up in particular relates to this song
4: our God is a god of justice on the cross that was displayed if we live for justice we don't do justice to his name it's like a shoulder shrug at our so absolutely it was um, a gift from the Lord to be able to uh, be invited to write specifically to this issue um, is what what this song is and and means to me um, I, I definitely believe that the art form of of rapping adds to the effectiveness because it's kind of like you have this song um, where there's a hip-hop artist leading it you know what I mean and uh, it's something that's used to challenge and encourage and admonish the church but it's it's led by hip-hop, and that, I think that that is kind of countercultural, and it's not traditional, and I think just that by itself will probably cause people to kind of lend their ear, like, wait, what's what's happening here? You know what I mean? And I think that God is brilliant in that way, how sometimes he will turn things on its head to get a message to his people. Um, and I don't know, I feel like just the um, the relationship... And sisterhood that that Lauren and I share it it translates well, and I think that's also something that kind of draws people because it, again it's 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 countercultural, you know, to see it in that way. And um, rapping allows you to say a lot more uh, <laughs> in a, in a verse than you would if you're singing, and so I think that allows um, for a more vivid picture. To be painted you know you can state your case a little bit more clearly because you have more words that you can fit in and so I, I definitely believe have that it will be effective for those reasons eyes. wake up we're so far from that in real life and right now you and not we're in this real fight there's work to be done starting with the household of faith created saved to lead the way to hesitate would be a grave mistake I'm saying me stating in the song that we're far from that so when I when I look at real life around me, that's where that motivation comes from. When I look at, uh, the extremely hurtful things that people say on social media, um, anytime that race is brought up, uh, when I look at, uh, white supremacists marching in Charlottesville, I see lack of unity, which is mm-hmm. not what dream, what, uh, um, Martin Luther King's dream spoke about, um, when I look at or consider things like mass incarceration, I think about lack of justice. Mm-hmm. So these things are pointing to we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And, and as a matter of fact, in some spaces, we may be going backwards because no one is pushing and trying to, you know, really push to carry that mantle forward. You know, so that was kind of the motivation, uh, a challenge there to be like, yeah, you were not. No, we haven't. Yeah, we had a black president, but that does not mean that progress is really being made. There's a lot of things hiding. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so um, I just wanted to kind of shine some light on that reality. Uh, And being a hip hop artist, I get the privilege to be a little bit more aggressive. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of how the Lord's wired me. So I've just embraced it. (laughs) Broken mirrors give us all a false perception. Broken systems teach us all false lessons and the evil one so crafty and all of his deception. To keep us divided is to keep all of his lies protected. So when I say uh, broken mirrors give us all a false perception, what I'm doing there is just giving a little bit of imagery. Uh, literally, if you were to look at yourself in a broken mirror the reflection would be warped. It would be something wrong with it. It wouldn't be an accurate depiction of what you really look like. And I think that in America, the the broken mirror is white normativity, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you look at everything, billboards, movies, commercial ads, toys, um, there's a system in place that communicates to us nonverbally that white is normal. Yeah. And I think that that communicates to to white people and to people of color, a wrong depiction. You know what I mean? It's it's a broken mirror. It's it's not accurate because we're all normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we're all equal. And and so that's kind of the motivation behind those lyrics is is when we are looking at a broken mirror, we're gonna have a wrong perception of ourselves and of others. You know? So that's that's the intent. Oh,
5: I don't know. Lord, I did what I didn't know Looking through my own life. I wrote that lyric I, I didn't know what I didn't know I mean the song is a conversation mm-hmm. I mean it's between honestly it's between the two of us mm-hmm. um, and and before the Lord yeah. because in my lyric I say oh Lord I didn't know what I didn't know um and and, and it's the truth. I mean, it's what when Tori was writing her lyrics, I don't think she'd had them all done at that point. We were just sitting in the green room with Jeff Caps And, you know, she was kind of giving me an idea of where she was going. Mm-hmm. And I thought, OK, what what's my honest response yeah. to that? Um, just thinking, gosh, I didn't know what I didn't know mm-hmm. and I was blind to my blindness um I thought I knew and I didn't and so in the song Tori does most of the talking and that's how I we thought it should be um that's how it is in real life it is <laughs> <laughs> know i wanted what's interesting is before we even started this concept for a song even was coming together i remember telling latoria um i think it was like the summer hey i feel like you're always having to squeeze your part into our worship songs wouldn't it be cool if we wrote a song one time that you you do all the lyrics and then i just sing the chorus she or did something say that. you remember that i do remember so that's, that's crazy of,
4: prophetic it was
5: (laughs) come on prophetess but um (laughs) but that i didn't know what i didn't know just to to admit that we don't know and to humble ourselves and um and and then so to go from humility humility to a desire to know we want to just know yeah. We don't want anyone to have to educate us. Mm. We don't want anyone to tell us that we don't know something. It hits that shame button in us, and so I think where a lot of white Christians in particular get stuck is they feel ashamed. They should already know, and so I think what I want to tell them is it's okay that you didn't know. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where my lyric progresses. It you know, but now I know that I didn't know. So help me see through your eyes. Um, and, and that kind of goes both ways. Lord, Lord, help me see through your eyes. How are you seeing this all come together? What is your desire for the nations, for, um, your people that you've created in your image? And then also kind of saying, Hey, help me see through your eyes, Latoria. Mm -hmm. Let me, help me see what it's like to be you. Just basic empathy you know absolutely um so that's where what that uh lyric know. came from i mean just an honest conversation my own eyes. but now i know what i didn't know help me see help me see through your Chorus, walk with you. Um, I will walk with you, kind of that statement of I'm in it. I'm in this with you. And I think it on a personal level, it means a relationship. Yeah. And and very real with like between Tori and me. Mm-hmm. So this idea of walking with Latoria mm-hmm. is very personal. Um, it means I'm in this relationship with you. I'm I'm in this friendship and There is going to come a time when we disagree on something or we disappoint one another. And I'm going to, I'm not going to peace out. I'm going to be like, you know what? Let's talk about it. And um, I'm still for you. And I still love you. And I'm still in this.
1: I will walk with you. Yeah, I will walk with you.
4: On, on the personal side, um, for me, I think uh, walking with with Lauren and and with some of our other friends has has been um, healing for me in a lot of ways, because they they are not afraid of my anger.
5: Yeah,
4: uh, they try to enter in and understand it um, with compassion and and grace and like, you know, they know my heart behind the anger. And I think <clears throat> there's a lot of black folks walking around wounded, Yeah, you know, and we're just for, for centuries, literally we've just been enduring and getting through anyhow and clinging to Christ in a way that no other people group understands what yeah. we, what we have to do. You know what I mean? And so I think the more that our white brothers and sisters stop and just really look at, that reality like forget what you didn't know forget that you you know like get over yourself yeah honestly get over what you do and don't know and just really look at the opportunity that you have to be a bomb to your brother or sister in christ just by being being consistent like being like unwavering if i'm mad then you know where that's coming from if i'm screaming yelling crying and doing some other things, you know <laughs> where that's coming from. And and you're literally walking with me through that. And and you know I think there's so much depth to be had when once you choose to do that.
0: Where do we go from here, man? How do, how do we take what we've learned from this discussion, from the ongoing conversation? I mean, there are some places, less helpful places this conversation is happening, like social media, but certainly in the circles that we walk in here at the Village Church and some of the Gospel Coalition, the ERLC, uh, all sorts of places this conversation is happening, or just on a personal level around the dining room table, where do we, maybe you and I, maybe the church, where do we go from here? What's next?
2: There's a sense in which you look out and um, at the world, and you look out at what's going on, and it's hard not to lose heart, you know? Yeah. Um, especially when you look at social media. So, I mean, like, this, you ask the question, so the very practical things, I know this sounds crazy, but, like, get off social media. I don't know. Mm. Like, don't talk about this on social media. Mm. Uh, try to make real relationships with people. I also know that um, so often Christians can sort of be – uh made fun of or lambasted for sort of saying jesus is the answer to everything but i really don't see a way forward without sort of an emphasis of the gospel here's why because that's what unites us all amen and so um the idea that i can look across at a brother and sister who i don't or sister who i don't necessarily understand Mm -hmm. or who i don't i can't put myself in their shoes or whatever right um but to say hey i am your brother I'm yeah. your brother in Christ. That doesn't mean I know everything. That doesn't, but it does mean that I'll I will try to be a safe space to have an honest conversation. And it doesn't mean that I take all of my opinions or my thoughts or my beliefs and just say, "Oh, I'll just throw all those away." Tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Yeah. You know, um, because I think sometimes people have that idea, like where we go from here is I just have to you know, keep my mouth shut and not ever say. And it's like, that's not what we're trying to say. No. What we're trying to say is that um, you speak to another individual like they are an image bearer yeah. of Jesus. And yeah. so that means you don't uh, objectify them or turn them into a... you. And you t- you meet them on their own terms, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you meet meaning... Um, you don't just label them or something like that. Like you're a snowflake or you're a liberal or you're a you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you or, get a category. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're a r you're a white supremacist or whatever. It's like it, you know, that you get to sort of have a conversation with somebody and see where they really are before you start. And that's why it's so easy on I think that's why social media is so bad is because um, the anonymity of it all or whatever, just the the inhumanity of it all. It's so easy to just label somebody and then walk in those labels. Is that
0: No, I totally get it. I think, in fact, this generation probably – social media is a good example of how this generation has gotten really good at communicating things but maybe not at having a conversation around things. So social media is a terrible Boom. place to have a conversation. <laughs> you can say, this is what I think. Oh, yeah, well, what you think is stupid or, yeah, what I – and there's a lot of that. It's a really hard place to get to know somebody, to yeah. give any nuance, to hear emotion, to, to know where somebody's wounded or broken, and you just kind of drop it out there. But to have a conversation means you have to be really good at listening. Social media is a hard place to listen. And so to actually listen to somebody, uh, that's one of the, the big first steps that I hear from a lot of people is to listen. And I feel like that's because the, the kind of circling the issue is circling the fact that the way you see the world seems like the, wor- the way the world is but what you don't know is that everyone, everyone, no matter what your religion, background, ethnic group, you see the world differently. There's some difference, whether it's because of what has happened to you, what you have done, what the Lord has done through you, what he's done around you. And so being able to listen and say, okay, well, I grew up like this, not, not this group of people grew up as an I as an individual did. Tell me, tell me your story and actually listen. And then here in that listening, in that story, in that testimony of somebody, a reality that you can't just negate. You can't just say, well, that's that's just not true without without saying, okay, these feelings I know are real, and this person is real. And so validating that by saying, I'm going to listen to you. Now, one of the things at the MLK conference that I thought was fascinating was uh, when our pastor Matt Chandler spoke, he talked about how weighty it was to him that he was saying the next steps for churches to take was for preachers to speak about this. And what he said was weighty about that was that he was feeling uh, a weight that what he was asking people to do was possibly risk their jobs by speaking about racial reconciliation publicly. In other words, and you can listen to this section of the talk— What he's saying is if a pastor speaks about race, he knows that some churches will ask for that pastor to resign, which uh, maybe you and I aren't spoiled, Adam. But I feel like if we speak about racial reconciliation, while there is a certainly a vocal group of people that will not be happy with it or are sick of hearing it or disagree with us, we do not risk our jobs. Do you feel like we're, we're spoiled in that, or do you feel like that's like our culture is very common? Or do you see, when you look around, you see what Chandler sees, where he's going, there's a lot of pastors that risk everything. Even 50 years after the accession of MLK, they risk their job to talk about racial um, strife and racial barriers and impartiality. No, I think,
2: yeah. Uh, you know, me personally, do I look out and see a lot of that? Not necessarily, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. Here's all all I mean by to say is I think Matt's right and I think um, and I trust that he's right. And he certainly knows that world uh, uh, much better than I do. He's been at this a whole lot longer, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure that that is the case. But being somebody who sort of wasn't as churched growing up, you know, yeah. and not, I, I, uh generally i hear people who are sympathetic and that's that's the good uh, that's the part i want to say too is i don't want to caricature anybody that the reality is uh, there are lots of reasons that people don't want to talk about race some are hey just preach the bible please and yeah. some are you know and I, so here's what i mean by that what are the motivations for that reaction I don't know you've got to check your heart but I'm not gonna to pretend to know everybody's motivation does that make sense yeah. oh yeah I don't want to read into everybody who says man I wish you would just preach the Bible as they're racist maybe they're going through a lot of pain and suffering themselves and what they're really saying is could you please speak to me and my hate uh, my pain and my issues right or something like yes. that uh, and so I never just want to like again what we were saying earlier I never just want to like straight up label it but going back to Matt's point I do think this is not a safe issue to talk about. I really don't. I don't think Mm. for most people in most churches and most congregations, this is—and I don't know, maybe that's an overstatement, but there are—let me put it a different way. There
0: are—there certainly still exists uh, congregations where this is not a safe topic. Yeah, I totally agree, and I do think part of that reason, and maybe this is uh, too much conjecture on my part, but when you talk about race, what people often hear is an accusation against themselves— that does not mean that the pastor is actually accusing people or condemning them, although he may be seeking uh, conviction and change. But the reason I think a lot of people don't like to talk about this is because in the talking about it, they hear accusation. When somebody talks about the roots of the suburbs and why suburbs exist or why segregated neighborhoods exist, they hear something like, you should feel bad about this. This is about you. You need to overcome this. And in some sense, maybe some of us do, and we need to hear that and say, yeah, there's there's a sense of humility. I need to walk into this situation, and say, what do I need to repent of, and what do I need to deal with, and what is the historical sin here that I may not have been an active participant in, but I am a benefactor of or, a, or I've inherited. But people hear accusation when really what I want them to hear is conviction. That is a reality. People hear that. Th- that's a really
2: good distinction I think we need to just focus on. So, And Matt mentioned this in his talk. He said. A lot of Bible-loving good people, right, uh, which—good people, what, what you, but what I mean is a lot of Christians who would who would not in any overt way be racist hear things like there's systemic injustice that you're the benefactor of, and there's a privilege that you've walked in, and they sort of go— Uh, Those are things I can't see. Those are actions I didn't take. Right. So so a topic like white privilege, you know, is like something that's sort of really hard to to wrap your mind around. And there's plenty of people who you say white privilege and what they hear when they hear that term is you grew up privileged and they're like, excuse me, I grew up. And it was awful. You right, know, I faced right. this. I had a single mom. I didn't have any money growing up. I was poor. I lived, you know, right. all these, you know, their own context or whatever. And, and so they hear the term privilege, and that's what they think you're saying. Or they hear terms like systemic injustice, and they're like, look— uh uh i didn't do it i never i didn't enact these housing laws that have been around since the you know 30s or whatever yeah the point again and what you're saying in all of that is not to look at somebody and go and you're the problem it's about conviction and more a call to action how do you as a christian knowing that there are Certain things that exist, like a systemic injustice, or whatever, just look at the stats about you know, poverty rates and crime rates and different things like that, and just knowing that those exist, and knowing that the gospel calls us to be people who uh seek justice and see people in their suffering, what are we going to do about that? Right? I think that's sort of more what we're what the point that's trying to. Be gotten across. That's a terrible sentence. But, you know, does that make sense? (laughs) What I'm saying. Yeah, that's the point that's trying to be made is not you're a you're a a racist, white privilege, systemic injustice supporting person. It's, hey, these things are sort of out there and they're these they're kind of abstract concepts. But. We can look at the data. We can look at these things. Be you know, look at it. Try to understand a different context than your own, and then sort of say, "What am I going to do yeah. as a minister of reconciliation?" Which is what we all are as as gospel agents in this world. What what do I now do with that information?
0: Yeah, I'm all I'm all for that. Uh, so, just to land the plane, I think what's really clear is that the Bible has us on a multi multicultural mission. Christ makes that incredibly clear. The mission of the church is multicultural. The kingdom of God is multi-ethnic. There has been a barrier broken down between God and man through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that also breaks down barriers between man and man. That we are uh, ministers of reconciliation, not just between us and, and God, but we are on mission between us and each other. That the Bible makes clear that partiality is a sin that should be addressed and called out. And that is why we are all about racial reconciliation. It's not because it's some politically trendy, or uh, the way they talked about at the conference, um, Triple E talked about a trendy compassion. That is not why this is something that we talk a lot about. It's because it is a sin pervasive in our culture that has manifestations systemically and individually, and it goes and rails against what we're called to in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if that's not where you land right now, then my next step for you would be to study those things, to read some more diverse authors about those things, and if it is Where you land right now, then maybe what you need to look at is look around yourself and say, when is the last time I had somebody in my home for a meal that is not somebody I go to church with and is not someone who grew up like I did and not someone who looks like me, and say, Do I have a multi-ethnic or multi multicultural society I'm in without a a, a social circle that reflects that or without a church that reflects that and say, is there a reason that's the case? Again, I'm not accusing somebody of something just. Take observation, stock of your life, and see what is the Lord called all of us to, and then what is He called you to in particular. And certainly, there will be an aspect of reconciliation between you and other uh, members of the human race, which we can be participants in. And then, like you said, address social injustices, address systemic problems, and address it on an individual level. So, this is to me, we could talk all day about this topic, and we could. Keep uh, angering people as we go. I'm sure people have clicked off as they've listened as they've gone, but hopefully for some of you this has resonated or challenged you. So thank you for listening. We're going to keep talking about the subject in different ways as episodes come up.
5: I will walk with you no matter.
0: If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark, The Brains, and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett, The Brawn. In our next episode, we will have Andy Crouch with us in the studio to discuss technology and dehumanization. I'm looking forward to that. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. God bless.